0: I hope you noticed as a part of the reading just a moment ago, Brother Vestal read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, the verse just before that, verse 17, we just sang a song about that. Do all things in accordance to in word or deed. Do all things according to that which God has supplied. I think that connection's a bit interesting, so I appreciate Larry leading that song, and I appreciate all of us as we're able to reflect for the next few moments on a section of the Word of God and be encouraged and challenged by. I've entitled the lesson today, Family Matters, and as we move into that lesson, I certainly would invite you to spend a moment of introduction with me, thinking about these truths. Isn't it the case that the family is an amazing masterpiece? The God of heaven designed it. He set it forth with its particulars. He set it forth with the ideas for its success. Thus, if the success is not to be had, it isn't God's fault. It is thus appreciated that in the Bible we have the blueprint for the success of the family. And today, for the next few moments, why don't we reflect on some family matters. Things that will challenge all of us, leaving none of us outside the realm of consideration and outside the realm of encouragement, really, in this matter. When you give thought to family matters, certainly many things might come to mind. But today, the idea is going to be developed specifically in accordance to what will begin on this slide. Would you give thought to the family? And aren't we all blessed? to have been a part of one, to even today be a part of one, and to recognize the sweetness and the genuine honor and blessing that comes with a family. Those that we cherish, those kin that we love, it's not to say we always agree with every decision, but it is to say that there's a connection there. And as the Word of God has specified it, that kind of a connection is a rather deep and is a rather meaningful one to be sure. We might well begin like this. You and I know there are many particular types or categories of families that may be found in the Word of God. A single person could in fact be faithful to God and go to heaven. There wouldn't be a thing in the world amiss from the Word of God connected to that reality. But we also understand that a person may choose to be to thus found his or her own family to be a part, you see, of this new arrangement, this new grouping. And when that takes place, there are new obligations and new responsibilities and new facets of life which otherwise would not have been the case. As you give thought to that truth with me, isn't it then to be stated like this? A person who again enters into that arrangement suddenly has other responsibilities in addition to the ones that would otherwise have been true. And so today, what about that man that would be a husband? That man that would be a father? That woman that would be, again, a wife? That woman that would be a mother? Those perhaps are the quickest realities that come to your mind and mind as we reflect upon a family. But with them, consider how much the Word of God has to say about them. And consider some of the details that God has specified that would be meaningful and beneficial and incredibly useful. You may notice about the bottom of that slide. Isn't it true on many occasions that the Word of God insists that we make sure that God is the center point of the family? He must be the hub around which it all revolves. Picture a wheel if you like. There may be spokes on the wheel, but the spokes are attached to a center axle. They're attached to a hub, and they all emanate and radiate from it. The God of heaven must be the center of that family because all of these particulars and all of the complexities that otherwise would be the case with regard to the family suddenly have their explanation and suddenly have the responsive answer given. I've stated at the bottom, then we could certainly from the Word of God say this. A family that doesn't pursue that which is the description of the Word of God would at the very least be dysfunctional from a spiritual standpoint and might even be a godless one. How much trouble and how much challenge and difficulty has been brought to a community and to, yea, our nation as a whole from families that actually are godless. For instance, given thought to the Word of God, the Bible. Any family that doesn't give attention to it, as would be appropriate, surely the guidance and the direction that would otherwise be needed is lacking. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. To borrow the words of Psalm 119, verse 105. Earlier in that same chapter, verses 15 and 16, the Scripture had said this, "'I will not forget thy word.'" And so, with regard to the Word of God and what it has to say about these things, let's take a time today to journey, not only looking at some family matters, but being somewhat specific about them. All of us will be challenged, like I said before. And God would have it that way. And so, let's talk about men first. And particularly those men that would put themselves in position to, again, be a part of being a husband or being a father. And so, gentlemen, all of us, might we listen with some care and let God do the talking as He directs some concert, considered advice and counsel to you and me? We shall begin by noting this. Gentlemen, we are given the responsibility of ensuring that the family has the necessary physical provisions. 1 Timothy 5.8, If any provide not for his own, And for those of his household, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now the Word of God does use the word any. As you note later in that verse, with the pronouns used, certainly the man has a high regard and an expectation for this. That's not to say the woman has no significant input in this at all. For we know there are examples in the Bible of women who did provide, at least in some way, in some part, in some contribution for their family. You and I could list Lydia in Acts 16. We could also list that virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, both of which would just be two examples. But gentlemen, suffice it to say, God expects us, given the strength that He's given to us, the physical capacity for that kind of strenuous labor, He expects that we at least will ensure that our family has adequate provision for the things they need like shelter, food, and clothing, and things along that line. In some ways, maybe from the examples we've seen all throughout the Bible, those notable figures who were reckoned as godly, we saw that they behaved in that fashion. And we understand too how needful and vital that surely is. You may notice about the top of that slide, though that husbands are rather quickly given some initial and additional things. Would you go back to the reading of Colossians 3? In verse number 19, the text says this, Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. And so, in this Colossian letter, Paul comes to a time wherein, after making the description and the discussion of Jesus being the center point of life, he now becomes very practical, doesn't he? He now says, in your role, gentlemen, as a husband, here is something that you must recognize and that you must put into practice. Husbands, love your wives. Now, we understand this isn't the only time that that order, that description is found. Ephesians 5.25 in many ways even strengthens it. And we will look at that in just a moment. But at least for now, what word does the inspired writer use? Prompted by the Holy Spirit, there was more than one Greek word for the word love. There was love, for instance, motivated by physical attraction. You might even call it connected to infatuation. That's not the word he used here. So you don't just love her because she's pretty. You don't just love her because she's nice to look at. The word that he used is the word agape. And as you can notice on the slide, I ask you to observe its definition. It is a love prompted by evaluation and deliberate choice. In other words, as it closes, it involves action and will connected to that choice. So gentlemen, we are given the statement that we love her, even when the circumstances might otherwise not be connected to that infatuation that may once have been the case if, for example, she becomes ill. And maybe that illness leads to a falling of her countenance from the beauty that she once had had. It doesn't change the fact that her love still burns brightly for her. She's her wife. Among other things, you and I can see that that kind of statement is a testimony to a deliberate choice that that love will be there. And isn't it true that quite often in the marriage vows in sickness or in health, till death do us part. Isn't it an amazing thing to appreciate that that word is the one that also is used so often for God's love towards you and me? There are so many times you and I do not behave in a particularly loving way, but God loves us anyway. We choose to transgress what He says, and we choose to do something different than what He commands. He still loves me and you. Sometimes with regard to husbands, as we direct our love to our wife, the richness and the depth of that love is truly a magnificent matter of consideration. You may notice furthermore on the slide that that verse goes on to say this, Love your wives and be not bitter against them. What did Paul mean by that? Be not bitter against them. It literally means without bitterness. And as you can see on the slide, The original Greek word meant, don't grieve them. Don't cause them exasperation. Do not embitter them. So you and I realize, as husbands, we have an obligation here. It does mean that, among other things, Peter would later say in 1 Peter 3 7, dwell with them according to knowledge. We've often noted God made men and women different. We think about things quite often differently. We approach matters in a distinct and rather different way. Gentlemen, it's not to say we'll always be successful. But we do strive to to know, to understand, and to not embitter them. Now, she's going to have some obligations too, and we'll get to that shortly. But isn't it interesting that at least at this point, even from the ancient era, would you be reminded... Paul wrote this not in 21st century, the United States of America. He wrote this back in the days of the Roman Empire when the consideration of men and women were very different socially than today, and he still wrote this. Aren't you and I thankful for the timelessness of the Bible? How that in any age, in any culture, this is the way it needs to be. Husbands, love your wives. Look at what's further on that slide. I mentioned that text in First Peter 3, let's let it in fact address some additional matters. Turn over there with me if you would. In First Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, it says, "...Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered." So one more time, husbands were directly addressed. Husbands, dwell with them. That Them refers to your wife according to knowledge. And then he says this, giving honor unto the wife. Gentlemen, we need to honor our wives and do so like this, as unto the weaker vessel. She wasn't made with the physical capacities that you and I have. God didn't fashion the woman that way. Suffice it to say, though, that as the husband, we dwell with our wife according to knowledge, honoring her. And notice the verse closes like this, being heirs together. The picture is of two walking hand in hand, each with their responsibilities and obligations, each doing things the other cannot do quite as well, but they support each other. They have a common vision, a common goal. A common destination, described like this, heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The sharing of prayer, just one of the features that, of course, is highlighted. But gentlemen, as husbands, you might close that slide with me, note this. In that sister passage that I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Now, we've already noted that part here in the Colossian letter. How did Paul extend it there, or at least amplify it? Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. You and I know very well that as Paul there highlighted, Jesus loved the church to the point, to the extent that He gave Himself for it. Well, you and I realize that is a heightened pinnacle in description of the love we have for our wife. You may recall that many years ago, Brother James, James Watkins, he's passed away now, but surely a fine preacher that, that we, we know and appreciate so well. One who stood so firm on the nature of what God's Word presents, and he often described the family as a foretaste of heaven. That here the husband and wife, connected in love, bound under the banner of God's commands and passions and obligations, they journeyed in a sense of a foretaste of what they would look forward to in the days beyond this one. Well, maybe in that light, husbands, we at least are reminded of what closes that slide and what will begin the next one. Because what else might be said about this family unit? 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 3, as well as Ephesians 5, verse 22 Two places among even others wherein this truth is set forth, the husband is the head of the wife." So in the family, God has an orderliness prescribed this way. The husband is the head. He was fashioned for a work like that. God equipped him with the capacity and the means whereby he could fulfill that role. The head of the wife. Now, that in no way insults the wife. That in no way brings to her a consideration of inferiority. What it is is a recognition of distinct roles, distinct responsibilities for the two. The husband is the head. Now, in that headship, you might note on the top, first, it is not a dictatorial tyranny. You and I know some governments operate that way where there's a dictator who tells everybody else what to do. Gentlemen, we are not asked from the Word of God to be that kind of head. In fact, all you're going to do is make a miserable family if you do that. Rather, the head is one who first must lead by way of example. That is to say, he too connected to the Word of God that's the center of his life. And with that, he is able to provide the direction and the guidance to assist the other members of that family in the direction which they should want to move as well. You may notice on the slide, we have some examples of the Word of God, at least leading us to this. Would you turn back with me to Genesis 18, verse number 19. We have a description of the family of Abraham. It's true, he lived a very, very long time ago from our perspective, but it doesn't change what the Holy Spirit recorded Verse 19 reads, For I know him, him refers to Abraham, that he will command his children and his household. So that would have included his wife and the servants, whatever number of them there may have been. He will command them after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. We have the image of a man who offered the guidance, the commandments, if you please, such that his children and the other members of the family would follow after him. So he first had to be godly. He first had to be committed to the truth of the Lord, and then he would be that proper example with guidance for the others. That kind of image, of course, begs each of us today. Does my family... Are they able to look at me and see an example of godliness? Are they able to see one committed to that which would be right in the the sight of God? If not, I need to make some changes. You need to make some changes. We need to find ourselves in a position where that kind of description is such that we could be that appropriate head for our wife, leading her in the place where ultimately our love for her should want her to go. As you close that slide with me, isn't that the following? We understand well that that common destination's heaven. We need to be leading her and them in such a way that that's the destination. That's what God expects of me, and that's what He expects of you, gentlemen. With that said, what about children? If to that husband and wife are born children, look how else this is highlighted in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice he addressed fathers. Now we know well that mom is going to have a vital role in this, but at that passage and in that connection, the father was the one highlighted. Bring up your children. How? First, nurture them. That's not merely send them to church services. You've got to be there with them. You have to be there in such a way that they can be apprised of your commitment and your nurture of them and to them will be manifested by what they see in you. Nurture them in the chastening and discipline of the Lord. In the words of that verse, we find such a rather sweet appreciation about what God then would envision with regard to the man that He made. First of all, I think we could at least be impressed at this. When God first made Adam, He was by Himself on this planet. No wife, no children. Then He, at some short, short time thereafter, of course, fashioned Eve. So now He had a companion, a meet. Still no children. Aren't you impressed with the fact that God invested in Adam as He made him? The necessary internal accompaniments that would permit him to be both a husband and a father. That's the way God made him. Now, I would say, as well as the Bible, that as you and I close that slide, we have been reminded, haven't we, that in order to be the kind of family that it ought to be, the father, being as he ought to be, will be critical. What about mom? What about the woman? Let's turn our attention to her. Because in the same passage that we noted a moment ago, also the wife was addressed. May I direct your attention to Colossians 3 verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit to the Lord. Let's build up to that by those comments you'll notice earlier on the slide. Ladies, you too have been addressed by God, so this isn't merely human opinion. For that family to be as successful as God would have it to be, for it to have the characteristics that would not only make it successful, these are things which you will need to understand and which you will need to put into practice. So gentlemen, just as surely as God has addressed us rather directly, He also addresses the ladies as well. It begins with those comments at the top. First, the thing that was mentioned here, and we realize that other passages will say other things, and all of it taken together is God's presentation. But Paul in this place mentions, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. There is the Bible doctrine of submission. Now all of us, of course, submit to God but we notice that the wife is to submit to her husband. That submission, of course, involves a directness of understanding that he's the head. We noticed that earlier. And in the character of that submission, the things on that slide are those which now you and I are ready to, to in fact, discuss. I call to your attention Ephesians 5.22, which again is the sister passage to this one. And there, that submission is stated like this, "'Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord.'" So just as surely, wives, as you submit to Christ, you understand that there is a sense in which you also must submit to your husband. Now, the Bible doesn't say that He's your God. You're not submitting to Him like you're worshiping Him. That's not the what that teaches. But you submit to Him, recognizing His place of authority— and his role as the leader, ultimately, of that family. Oh, how strongly then it must be to recognize you want that husband to be connected to the Lord and for his leadership to be in line with it. Not only that statement, but the next one on the slide. Would you know what Sarah did? Sarah is held up as an example. I say that because of the way that 1 Peter 3.6 describes her. In the midst of that discussion, in which Peter addresses again both husbands and wives, to the wife he said this For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Calling him Lord. Sarah obeyed Abraham, being in submission to him, the text says, to the point that she recognized, called him Lord. Now today you and I realize one would need to be mindful of the considerations connected to that word and never use it in a way that's reserved only for the Lord Jesus Christ. But still the submission of Sarah is strongly highlighted. Today we realize again how that that is what is held up now in three distinct places in the New Testament. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, and 1 Peter 3. I understand well that this is not rather favorable to modern society. The idea of female submission to men, in particular a wife's submission to her husband, some would laugh at that. They quite frankly would call that into extreme question and maybe even mock it. But you and I know that God's Word mustn't be mocked. It means what it says. And in His infinite, infinite design for the family, this was the circumstance and the means whereby the best scenario was present. The wife's submission to her husband, thus means this is not some old-fashioned obsolete idea. Let's step one step beyond it. Titus 2, four. The wife is to love her husband... Now, I suppose that goes without saying, (laughs) I would think. But you and I know today there are some marriages contracted not based upon that idea. There are people who marry for a lot of reasons. Some marry for money, sadly enough. Some marry for prestige, sadly enough. Others marry because of the other kind of social benefits that might go with it. Some marry just for citizenship reasons. The list could go on and on. In the Bible, we find marriage at a higher echelon than any of that. We find that the wife is to love her husband. In fact, older women are urged to teach the younger ones, the the younger wives, that they love their husbands. Maybe it goes without saying again, husbands sometimes can conduct themselves in a way that's not entirely lovable. Wives, of course, just as the men dwell with the wives in knowledge they, the wife, strives to love her husband, even in those times when he doesn't act the way you would have wished he had. That kind of love is manifested also in that same verse this way, the woman loves the wife, the mother loves her children. Oh, how we have exhibited, seen, and experienced that, all of us, in some rather dramatic and powerful ways. As we step beyond that, perhaps two observations are quick to come to mind. The Word of God has some additional thoughts for the woman, and would you note with me the wording of 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. In that passage, as again, the wife is addressed. She is described and given these orders, or at least given this description. Chapter 5, verse number 14. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So among the matters stated, and all of them could well be room for for much discussion, could I invite you to notice that in the younger times of life, Paul made the address at that time about an issue that was going to be vital for them for those that were in that position, having the kind of desires and passions that can be characteristic of youth. He says they need to marry, bear children, and guide the house. Don't overlook that little phrase, guide the house. We understand about the other aspects, I think, but that one may be easy to bypass. There is something rather keen and rather critical about guiding the house. In fact, isn't this a sister idea to what we read in Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, where they're speaking again of the women, it is said that they are keepers. Keepers of what? Keepers have to keep something. What do they keep? They keep the house. Now, gentlemen, you and I have certain skills Probably keeping the house and guiding it is not one of them. We can do it fairly, not nearly as good as they. They're better at that than we are. By and large, their set of skills were fashioned by God in such a way that they are attuned to it. A woman typically is far better multifaceted than a man is. We men tend to think about the destination, the goal, and that only. A woman can multitask better than we, typically. I would say in light of all of that, as does the Bible apparently, that she is just more skilled at that than we are. So gentlemen, we need to encourage her in that way. Hold up her hands and encourage her in light of the various tasks that the house needs to be done. We can help. We can encourage and we can assist in carrying out those duties under her direction. That by no means means we've relinquished the headship to her. It simply means in her domain, we are honoring the skill set that she's been given. Isn't it interesting that as God's Word makes discussions like this, it allows us to close that slide like this. Just like what's the case for the man... If these are not honored in regard to the woman, then the house won't be what it could be. The family will be lacking in some things. I suppose that another lesson for another time will need to give thought to the children. So much might be said about them as well. But for right now, why don't we just simply do this. Let's draw our lesson to a conclusion this morning. Family matters. Oh, how much the Word of God has invited us to consider in connection to the marvelous and magnificent wonder which is the family. God made it. It is not the design of men. It is not the scholarly result of the efforts of some group of noble people. God designed it and He He has given to us that which is needful and that which is important for the well-being of that family whether it be the man, whether it be the woman, in connection to father and mother, in connection to husband and wife, we have been given a powerful set of reminders and truths connected to what will make that family as God would have it to be, and a blessing to all who know it, and certainly those that are part of it. Today, as you and I examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, in the words of 2 Corinthians 13, 5, what about me? Am I as I ought to be in my family, as the husband, as the father, or as the mother and as the wife. Can I make some positive changes and directions that might be even in the betterment? If so, may I have the courage, and may I have the fortitude to carry out those changes. But if you are already the ideal specimen of a husband, a father, a mother, and a wife may you be encouraged to continue that movement so that you can continue to be the blessing which you can be. At this moment, we're going to offer the Lord's invitation. An invitation that reminds us and invites us that Jesus is always there as a pillar of support and as a pillar of truth. If you or I need to rush to His side this morning, He implores us to come. Maybe as a wayward child of God, you have at one time known the sweetness and the sheer power connected to a faithful life with the Lord. Romans 6.17 describes what you were like in that condition. But if you've walked away from it today, why not come back? You know that's where you need to be. You know what the Lord offers you and you know the teaching of His Word that pronounces a blessing on that kind of a decision. If we could be of assistance in that way today, upon your acknowledgement of those sins and your confession of them, we'd be delighted to pray along with you. If, however, you have come to the point where, though never having been a Christian, you know you'd like to become one today, you want the kind of power that a, a faithful connection to God will bring. Today, we could be of assistance and help. As you believe in the Lord, repent of your sins, confess His name, and are baptized, He will add you to the church, Acts 2.47, and you then can walk faithfully until death and receive the blessings and benefits which He has promised you. Today, if we could be of some assistance and help, we'd love to do that and do it at once while together we stand and sing.